At times, faith can be found in the people least expected to have it. Such was the case with the centurion in Matthew 8 that Jesus informs the crowds had greater faith than the Jews who were supposed to have faith based on their relationship with God. Hi, I'm Femi Osibin, a preacher for the Church of Christ. Thank you for tuning in to today's sermon, The Centurion's Faith, taken from Matthew 8, 5-13. In this sermon, we will examine the impact our faith can have, especially on those we love. This should help us to recognize the limits of our own abilities and trust more in the power of Jesus to act in situations even if he's not there physically. Our willpower could take us far. You see, God has placed in man abilities that once the mind has set its sights on something, it really can accomplish it based on our wills. I remember I was in Lipscomb and a teacher told us that he ran 100 miles off of sheer determination and will. You hear people who learn multiple languages, and I'm not just talking about two or three, I'm talking about like five, six, seven, and eight, because they've set their mind to learn these languages. And if you just tell somebody at the onset that you could do this, it seems impossible, but if a person puts their mind to it, they can. And then we hear of other examples of people like Genghis Khan or Alexander the Great who've conquered large amounts of land because they've set their mind to being a conqueror and ruling the earth off of sheer willpower. And these are things that people have done for themselves. And we also consider that If we set our mind to do something for somebody else, we could accomplish a lot as well. One example that I'm thinking of is the love that God had for his people when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, into this world. Now, last week we talked about how after he came down from preaching the Sermon on the Mount, there was a a leper who came to him and said, Jesus, if you will, I will be healed. And Jesus said, I will. You see, he had set his mind to do good for somebody else. And we know in our lives that we will things for our spouses, for our children, for our family members, for our friends that we love, that sometimes is brought about because we want it that bad for them. And as we consider how much we can accomplish with just our sheer will and our efforts and energies. We have to be honest because there's limits to the will. There's some things that we just cannot do no matter how hard we try. And that brings us to the next pericope in these Miracles that are presented in Matthew chapter 8 after Jesus has just taught the Sermon on the Mount. You see, what we 
come across is this centurion who has a servant with the palsy. And no matter what he does, he knows he cannot do nothing to heal his servant. You see, while he wants it done and he wished that he could, it's impossible for him to accomplish what he wills. So what does he do? Well, let's read it. Because I believe a lot of us find ourselves in situations like this to where we come to the edge of our abilities and we really want something good for somebody that we care for. And there's just not nothing that we personally can do for them. Evident in our prayer list. If we could of our own fruition actualize the good that we want for those people on that list. It'll be done just like that. But we know we can't. So we take it to the one who can. Matthew 8, verse number 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in that self-same hour. You see, what's interesting about this passage is, when one considers who it is that came to Jesus, we can't help but to recognize that this was not a Jew. This was a Roman soldier who was a centurion who actually had some authority in the army. Now, to understand who a centurion was just a little bit better, it's almost like a general in the army today. You do not become a general just by sheer happenstance or luck. You have to set your mind to set yourself apart from everybody else and do things to prove your worth. You have to have some willpower and determination to prove your value as a soldier so that you can climb through the ranks to obtain the status that he had. And so the centurion, who by his own volition 
verified in the fact that he was a centurion who has a determination to go out and to accomplish things for the sake of his country has heard about this Jesus who can heal. And it's no telling if he went to his gods, if he went to the, the, the Roman deities and, and, and asked for healing for his servant. But what we have come to is something has caused this centurion to come to Christ to have his servant healed. Why? Because he realized that it was beyond his control. Not because he didn't want to, but because he couldn't. Listen to what the man says describing himself and the power that he has with his authority. I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth, and to another, come, and he cometh, and to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. So if he could have just told him to be better, he would have. Because he had a servant that he cared about at home that was sick. Cared about him so much so that he wanted him to be better. Just think of the impact that this servant had on that centurion. Because just as he says, I tell people, go, go, come, come. He could have said, find me a replacement servant because my servant is sick and dying. But he had made some type of impact to where this man who has all of this authority, all of this power, who could have easily replaced him, said, I see value in you and I want you to be better because I don't want our relationship to end. And so he goes and beseeches this Jesus of the Jews because perchance he has heard a story that this man can heal, that this man has the ability to do miraculous works and if I can just get to him and ask him to heal my servant, then he will. Because he can. Just think of the humility that it takes to put yourself in his shoes. A man whom we would say pulled himself by, up by his own bootstraps, proven himself in his world, now has to say, I'm nobody. Let me go. And ask this Jesus for help. You see, a lot of people who have expressed their own wills in this life have problems swallowing their pride and humbling themselves and asking for help. You see, because you put all this effort and this energy into becoming the person that you want to be and accomplishing the goals that you desire and you say, I have done all of this by my own strength and if I can't do it, then it can't be done. And if it can't be done, there's no need in putting no effort towards it. But that's not the thinking of the centurion. What he actually realized was that even though I have the ability to make myself who I want to be, there are limits 
to what I can do. And the limits are only limits for me, but not to this Jesus who I'm going to find to heal this servant because he had a relationship with him. And that goes to show the power of relationships. And it's evident that we understand that through our prayer list. Because this centurion has somebody who could easily be written off, replaced, but he doesn't want that relationship to end as such. On our prayer list, those are people that could easily just be written off and replaced, even though they've had value in our lives at one point, we could say the condition that you're in right now is proven to be unvaluable to me now. You can't offer me the same things that you once did. So it would be easier for me to forget about you and to go on with my life. But no, we see that there's value in that relationship and we want God, we want Jesus to act in that person's life to restore them to a point to where the relationship can be maintained because we value what they give to us. There's something to be said about that. Because what we recognize, what we learn, what we see evidenced in scripture is your faith can be impactful in helping somebody else who might not be able to help themselves. The servant, he doesn't get up and go and ask Jesus to be healed. Mm -mm. It's not told if he even asks the centurion to go and ask for him, but the centurion goes and asks for the servant to be healed. And Jesus says, look at this man in marvels. Think about that. The very person that Jesus highlights as an example of faith in him is the least person that we would expect. He's not Jewish. He would have no reason to go to Christ and ask him to to do him a favor. But he recognizes that there is power in this Jesus and the very thing that he asked him for to do, he can do it. He believes it so much so that he knows that he is even unworthy for Jesus to come to his house to look at the man, to put hands on the man. But he understands how power works and that power needs not be present for it to be effective. Just say the words and it'll be done. I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. A person who has made themselves somebody in this world recognizes that before the almighty God, he is not worthy enough to have him come into his house, yet he is still powerful enough for the mere words to take hold and be impactful. And this makes Jesus marvel. Not only because this centurion demonstrated faith, but because the people who were supposed to have this faith didn't. 
And it causes us to look at ourselves. Whose faith do we mirror? Is it the children of God who will not feast in the kingdom of heaven? Or is it the centurion one would not expect to be eating there? Because there's a lot of times as Christians, we get complacent with where we're at in our relationship with God and we do not trust God enough to pray for situations, let alone we do not trust God enough to work in situations that we have no physical contact with. So we find ourselves at times not praying. We find ourselves at times not showing concern for those whom we should. We find ourselves at times not living up to the standard that Christ would have us live up to, not because Jesus is not able, because we are not faithful. And it shouldn't be so. The difficult part, the difficult thing that Jesus says about those children of the kingdom is that they will be cast into the outer darkness weeping and gnashing their teeth. Not because they don't have a relationship with God. No, they're the very ones that God started the relationship with, the children of Abraham. But because they don't have the faith that's necessary to produce fruits because of that relationship. So, it's imperative that we as the children of the kingdom demonstrate the depth of faith that this centurion had. That we learn to lay our cares, our burdens, our desires, everything to Christ, knowing that it's not because we're worthy, because of who we are, because what we have accomplished with our own willpower, but because we're humble enough and we have faith and believe that Christ can act with simply words. And where do these words start at? They start in scripture with promises that he's given us, that I'll never leave you. That if you are faithful until death, that you will be with me eternally. That even if you go through these trials and lives, that if you hold faithful, I will see that you will be rendered due justice. That if you love like I tell you to love, you'll be taken care of. That if you go and pray and ask of my father and trust that he'll do what you ask of him, he'll do it for you. That if you give, like he says, give, that he will provide for you. That if you demonstrate these characteristics that he preached about in the Sermon on the Mount that he just came off of, that the promises that he wants to give us freely, you will receive. If you make your house on the rock, 
you'll stand in the time of a storm. If you make it on the foundation of sand, your house will fall. You see, it's not the fact that Jesus is not willing to do for us. They show that in the healing right before this, the question is, are we willing to submit to humble ourselves to ask, to believe, to trust, and even care for others so that God can work not just in our lives, but the lives of the ones whom we hold dear to ourselves, no matter what that relationship is. No matter if we see them as a subordinate, as an equal, or as a superior, will we go to God on behalf of somebody else so that they could be benefited and have faith that God will help them just because we asked? You see, sometimes we ask, but we don't believe. We ask because we know that it's right, but deep down in the bottom of the recesses of our heart, we say, uh, I know it's not going to happen, but I wish, and so I'm going to say it, but I'm not going to believe it because that's impossible for me to think about because with my strength, my powers, my efforts and energies, I can't do it. So I don't think that God really can. And what happens? Jesus says, as you believe, it will be done. And we don't believe, and it's not done. And the more we go down this cycle, the less we believe, the less is done, all because we equate our wills as equal to God's. Our strengths as the same as Christ. Our powers at the same level as the spirits when it never is. We must learn to be like the centurion who learns to separate themselves from their upbringing to separate themselves from their whole worldview to adopt one that says Jesus can do what Jesus can do even if I don't understand it if that's not what my peers say but I'm going to trust that if I go to him he can do the very things that I'm asking because he has the power to do it and really believe that how many of our prayers would actually be answered if we believed that Jesus could do what he, we asked him to do? But that's not how we function. We say it, but we don't believe it because we hedge our bets. We put away our savings. When Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. God provides for the birds of the air. We hit people back. When Jesus said, turn the other cheek. 
we don't love because we feel we won't be protected when Christ said, love your enemies. Don't even call your brother a fool because you'll be danger of judgment. And we say, don't let nobody misuse you or they'll always walk over you. We say, save for a rainy day because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. And all of these things that are against what God says evidence the fact that we don't fully believe what Christ said. And we find ourselves more akin to the father who came to Jesus for his son to be healed. And Jesus said, do you believe? He said, Lord, I believe. Help me with my unbelief. And we're not like the centurion who says, I'm not worthy for you to come to my house, but I know because I have power that the power that you have is greater and if you merely say the word, it will be done. And that's the challenge that I'm giving to us. To grow to the fact that we believe Christ so much so that we take his words at face value. And I'm not just talking to you, I'm talking to myself as well. That we take Jesus at face value and say, because you said it, I believe it, and if I do what you tell me, it will be done as you said so. And divorce myself from the negative self-talk. Don't allow myself to rationalize with the human perspective because that's not how faith works. Faith works by taking Jesus at his word and letting it be there. And when we get to that point to where we can believe that what Jesus said is going to happen, we grow to the point to where we can start sharing our faith for the benefit of others. Because our life has shown us that we are not strong enough to do all that we want to do on our own wills. But our life has manifested God working so much so on our us that we have realized that there is a truth to serving this living God that we don't always live up to, but we know because God has done things for us only he could have done. And extend that faith for the benefit of others so that they can be restored Hold, but also so that they can recognize that it was only God who did what he did for them so that they can bring glory and honor to God as well. Because if this centurion servant is sitting at home with the palsy and he's grievously tormented and as his master's away asking Jesus to heal him and he miraculously heals, what does he have to say? That only God did this and when his master gets home and he sees that he's healed 
What conversation are they going to have? I went to Jesus and I prayed for you and you got better. And what does that do? It magnifies the name of God. What if our faith had that same impact in the relationships we have in this life? What if we was praying for somebody earnestly on that prayer list? As Jesus said, go in your closet. And you go in your closet and you're praying for them and you see that person and they said, you know what? I got up one day and I was right and there was nothing wrong with me no more. God had to do something and you tell them I was praying for you because I knew that God could. What if a situation in somebody's life that you had been praying for that you didn't even tell them about worked itself out so so that they recognized that only God could do this for me. And you talked to them and said, you know what, I, I was praying for you when nobody else was and God worked through my prayers. What would that do for our faith? What would that do for our relationships? What would that do for the Lord of heaven's reputation on this earth. Because not only would one person be glorifying God, but two people would. And they would be testifying to the fact that God helped when nobody else could. That when man's will was not strong enough, God's will interacted and manifested for his glory and honor. And why? Not because we're worthy enough, but because we're loved. Because we demonstrate faith. Because what God is trying to do is to fill vessels of light on this earth to create salt in people that can flavor this world to draw all men to him. And that's what we're called to be. Light. Salt. Have faith. Walk the straight and narrow path. Trust that what Jesus told us to do is all we need to worry about and lean on And the very cares of our heart will be manifested. And the desire is that the hope that we demonstrate, the faith that we produce, will cause the Lord to marvel. Wouldn't that be beautiful? If you got to heaven and Jesus told you that he marveled at the faith that you had because it was different than the faith that everybody else demonstrated. That you took him at his word and did what he said just because he said it even when you was amongst a group of people who were supposed to and they didn't and you didn't let that stop you 
from having faith and you lived your life so much so that nothing caused you to doubt the word of God and the power of prayer and because of that your faith had a positive impact on the lives of the people that you held dear to you. The centurion, he wasn't a Jew. He was the least likely person that would cause Jesus to marvel at his faith. And yet he does. And he demonstrates to people who are supposed to understand what true faith looks like and he's not even asking for something that benefits him specifically but for somebody he loves because a person who would seem like they could be replaced did something to create value in a relationship and so he goes to Jesus on their behalf we all have people in our lives that if somebody was looking on the outside in, they say, you could just easily write them off. Most of you have reached an age of maturity to where somebody would be like, well, they're getting to that point. What do you expect them to live forever? You could just write them off. But no, there's value in that relationship and you want it maintained. And while your will might not be strong enough to keep it going, you have a relationship with Jesus whose will is, is strong enough too. The question is, is your faith there to meet Jesus where his will is to manifest your desires? That's the challenge. To grow so much so in faith that we can leave our burdens and cares with Christ, understanding that we're not worthy, but we're loved. That we can take him at his word to understand that I might not be smart enough to understand it, but I am humble enough to follow it. So that while we are walking on this earth, while it might be on that hard, straight, and narrow path, it's leading us to Christ eternally so that we can feast with Abraham in the kingdom of God. Because that's what we come to church for. That's what we read our Bibles for. That's why we allow ourselves to be downtrodden at times, to be ridiculed, ostracized, looked down on by man because we know who God is calling us to be and it's counter from the world. But it's the very thing that's necessary to be a citizen of the kingdom. So we train ourselves. And my challenge is to go all the way with it. Don't stop where you think the finish line is, but stop when God says the finish line is.
the message is yours. I'm not sure where that leaves you. But I hope it challenges you to really demonstrate the depth of faith that God wants us all to have. And do it so much so that it cannot be denied when it manifests itself in our lives and the lives of the ones that we pray for. And as we do that, we'll grow together and we'll make heaven our home. I'm not sure where that sermon leaves you. My prayer is that you will contemplate it and incorporate it into your Christian life. If you're not a Christian, I ask, what's stopping you? God sent his son, Jesus, to freely extend the gift of salvation to all who will follow him. To get that salvation, one must follow the example set out in Scripture. The book of Acts, which details the church's beginnings and expansion, shows us biblical examples of those who were saved. A good place to look is in Acts 2. You get Peter preaching the first gospel sermon and the response of those who heard and believed his message. They repented and were baptized, which added them to the church Christ established. The Bible only teaches of one church. If you want to be added to it, go to your local church of Christ and tell them your desire to be washed of your sins and to live a godly life. Study your Bible, put its teachings to practice, and you will make heaven your home.